Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast, the morning after America's hangover. I'm Charlie Sykes. We are joined by Bill Crystal and Mona Charon, who are up very, very late <laughs> with all of us doing a live stream and trying to make sense of you know, what happened. I mean, look, uh, guys, it didn't go the way that we, we expected or hoped for. But, you know, I, I, Joe Biden's going to win this election. I just want to go on record here. You, you put together, just do, do the, here's the formula, Arizona plus Wisconsin plus Michigan, and assuming that he holds on in Nevada, that's it. That's 270. So, but, you know, we didn't get the full-throated repudiation of Trumpism we wanted. GOP is holding the Senate. It looks like they're actually going to pick up seats in the House. So who, who wants to, uh, who wants to give us our deep thoughts the morning after? Bill, I know you're writing something right now for, for the bulwark. What's what's your? Are you a half glass full or empty this morning? What? Uh, well, both. You know, that's what. That's such a weird metaphor. I've always thought because if a glass is half full, then it's half empty, and if it's half empty, it's half full. So that's the truth. Is that it's half <laughs> or third or something? I don't know. Full. Um, yeah, I sent JPL a piece a few minutes ago, so he hopefully he will improve it. But I'll give you the unimproved, quick headline version of it, um, which is most of it, honestly. Mm -hmm. So the good. Joe Biden is very likely, not 100% certainly, but very likely to be our next president, as you said, Charlie, uh, adding Nebraska 2 to the places you mentioned, and that one look, that looks fine. Uh, he'll be at 270. Pennsylvania will know in a week, maybe, and he could, I think he could win it and be at 290 electoral votes. I don't think Georgia will quite make it. So that's, we're looking either at, at 270, 268, I think. Wisconsin looks pretty well done. Yeah. You were right about that last night. Michigan looks okay. I want to have talked to uh, from Michigan, I know some people from Michigan said, include Republicans, say that that's not uh, probably not surmountable. Biden's uh, new lead there, the outstanding vote is Wayne County, Detroit, right. and then uh, uh, Arizona looks pretty safe. Nevada, eight thousand votes. It's a little unclear what vote is outstanding tomorrow. It looks like a you know late mail-ins, and but it's unclear. When I looked at the counties that are out, it doesn't feel to me like it's going to swing wildly, and so. He will sweep by there as well. So now, so that's A. And it doesn't look to me right now, famous last words, that Trump is having much success ginning up, you know, much support for overturning the ballots in those states, at least. Pennsylvania might be a different story. That's why it would be great not to have to depend on Pennsylvania. And, you know, those states actually are set up in ways and the vote is being counted in ways that it's a little hard to see what even the legal basis of a of a claim would be. So there could be a recount in Nevada. We'll be a little on, on tenterhooks for a few days. But I, I, I think that so that's a good news. Uh, not so good news. Um, no repudiation of Trump or Trumpism. And I think a Republican Party that doesn't see much need to reform. Yeah. Pays the course that figures, you know, Trump hurt us. A, Trump was a little bit problematic, kind of personally, you know, he scoofed up a bunch of things. But basically, we held the Senate, we increased seats in the House, we're well set up to take over the House in, in a normal off-year election in 2022, just oppose Biden, be Trumpy in a slightly less Trumpy-esque way. And that's that. Democratic Party, I think the left will be strengthened by the weak, relative weakness of Biden showing, leaving aside entirely whether on the merits anyone on the left would have done any better, I doubt it. But, you know, he's not going to go in with a massive victory. And therefore, the sniping from the left begins right away. The sniping at Pelosi, who will be viewed as too moderate, uh, begins right away. And so neither party, from my point of view, I would say emerges in the near term, I don't think, in better shape. And then finally, uh, the ugly, uh, as I call it in the piece, I mean... 
I, I hate to say this, but I, I just, the fact that more of the American people, a slightly higher percentage actually of the total vote, maybe a slightly lower percentage of the two-party vote in America, having seen Trump for four years as president, not betting on an outsider or a businessman, I don't like Hillary, none of that, you know, having seen him, was ready to give him a second term, not ready to like sign a nice thank you letter, but ready to give him a second term uh, with everything we've seen, with all the constraints going away. Uh, that unnerves me about the American public. Mona. Okay. Last <laughs> night, um, last night at a certain hour, can't say exactly which one it was, um, I felt that feeling in the pit of my stomach that felt so much like 2016, mm -hmm. where I was just like feeling ill and a little dizzy with disbelief. Um, by the way, Charlie, I loved your line in your newsletter this morning. Uh, let's shut down the polling industry until we figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, let's <laughs> ban the name Nate just yeah, across the ban, board. Ban the name Nate. There was yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so bearing that in mind, um, I, I want to just, you know, for myself and for others who may have felt the same way, a little bit of perspective. Yes, it was really dismaying and shocking that uh, this is turning into a very, very close election, but it does look like the worst is going to be avoided. That is a Trump second term. It, yeah. All the signs point to a narrow Biden victory, but a secure one. And that means that, yes, all I, I heartily agree with everything that Bill says about what this says about the state of the country, that, you know, having seen this gorilla in charge for for four years, they're willing to say, yeah, yeah, we, we kind of like that. Um, but uh, we're not going to have four more years unless, you know, barring some catastrophe, and so we do have an opportunity just because of that for some healing, some repair um, of our really frayed republic. Yeah. Well, this was the election that we were all hoping was going to break the fever, but I think it, it just underlines how divided we are. And I think it's going to end up making us more divided because of the fight that we're about to have. But I, I guess I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to have a more positive take on this. I don't disagree with anything you guys just said. But, you know, the the emotional roller coaster of last night could have been predicted. In fact, we were doing the the Zoom call and I had to take a break and go off on MSNBC where, weirdly enough, if you know me, I, I was I was the ray of sunshine to telling everybody, guys, you know, stop obsessing about Florida. Florida's gone. The SEC is not going to determine this. This is a Big Ten election. Let's start talking about what's happening in Wisconsin, some of the votes we were seeing in Ohio and Michigan, what I thought was going to happen in, in Pennsylvania, because in the end, um, this thing is playing out the way that we would have thought a couple of years ago. I mean, if we were, you know, if we go back six, seven, eight, nine months and we were to be, you know, saying what's going to determine the outcome, we'd say that blue wall. The election is going to be decided by Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And if I would have told you back then that, that Biden is going to flip those states and that Donald Trump would be a one-term president, I think that we would be pretty satisfied. We got we were it felt a little bit like what happened in 2018, though, where people got freaked out by the very, very early numbers that came in from Florida, which, by the way, I want to start a campaign to not have them be a state anymore. If we could like swap yeah. them out for Puerto Rico. <laughs> To to that extent is like I want us to go on the 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 positive end that that 
Donald Trump is going to leave the White House on January 20th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And can I can I just add something though? Because you know, w- when we were thinking through what we were going to be discussing last night on the webcast, I had planned some topics, assuming there was going to be a ver- fairly significant Biden victory. And one of the topics that I was going to tee up was how would this election have looked if there had been no coronavirus? And the the weird thing is that this is what I would have expected had there been no coronavirus, no huge national emergency, no huge test of leadership that almost all of us feel Trump uh, failed abysmally, right? But the public right. did not think that. And I will tell you that even Democrats that I, so I did get out the vote calls over the weekends uh, leading up to the election. And it was interesting that even Democrats, I was only calling Democrats, even they, some of them, didn't seem to to hold Trump accountable or to to blame him for his reaction to the virus. They seemed to think it was all right. That uh, sure wasn't his fault. And they didn't see that anybody else would have been able to do better. That is amazing. No, because it, I, I was prepared to have that discussion as as well. What would it have looked like? Because a lot of other politicians had done awfully well, uh, had, had seen their approval ratings go up if they had, you know, competently handled the coronavirus right and he would have probably cruised to re-election but this doesn't seem to have been this much of a, a difference in fact in fact if if that had never happened these results would have been pretty close no i i think you're right there um bill let me let me play a contrarian on another thing as well um the the democratic performance in the senate and the house is, was really abysmally below expectations uh, they they got very little for their money. They were able to get rid of McSally and uh, Cory Gardner, but then they lost a seat in Alabama. Uh, Susan Collins is coming back. Uh, Lindsey Graham is coming back. It's going to be a Democrat-controlled Senate. In a way, that's a favor for Joe Republican Biden. Republican-controlled Senate. I'm sorry. You know, I keep flipping them around. Republican-controlled Senate. But in a, in a way, that's a kind of a favor for Joe Biden. Because it means that we're not going to have some massive socialist uh, health care plan, right? We are not going to be having court packing. They're not going to be adding states. Um, the left is not going to be empowered to overreach. And, of course, this is one of the concerns that they would come in there and that Joe Biden would have uh, tremendous pressure on himself to move left with all kinds of, you know, this incredible waiting list of left wing progressive woke pieces of legislation. He won't have that. So he's going to have to put together bipartisan coalitions, which might not be the worst thing for Joe Biden. Yeah, no, I take that point. And it's a good point. And I'll just generalize that point for a second. I think it's a good reminder that, you know, politics and life are contingent and these things have complicated repercussions, which are always not often the first bounce isn't the same as the second bounce, uh, which isn't the same as the third bounce, so to speak. So I said, and I think I'm right, that the mood of the two parties could be, there won't be much breaking of the fever if you want no, a party. I agree. I think in a way, the left will feel strengthened in the Democratic Party. But I also take your point that if, assuming we do have a real President Biden and he really does have to pass legislation and the Republicans control the Senate, 
and actually have the Democrats have a lower margin in the House too, that there that could have positive repercussions. It could lead to actual discussions of what immigration bill we should have and what uh, tax reform. You know, Biden's obviously got to do something on taxes. He's pledged to do it, but McConnell can limit the damage and so forth. So I don't rule that out. I think one lesson of the last few years in general is how contingent these things are. A lot depends on leadership. Mitch McConnell is going to have very conflicting. Uh, imperatives. He'll, he'll want to fight. He'll want to. He'll think in the past that he's done well by opposing uh, first-term Democratic presidents, uh, Obama famously in 2009, 2010, uh, and that you know he can replicate that and then hold his Senate majority again and, and and maybe win the House. On the other hand, you know he and Biden have cut deals in the past, also under President Obama, and he'll want maybe to go out with some legislative accomplishments, assuming he you know is going to be there forever. So. You know, I, I very much agree that a lot of these things depend on judgments that Joe Biden makes, judgments that Mitch McConnell makes, judgments that Nancy Pelosi make, which junior members get uh, judgments that, you know, Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley make about their own political futures. And do they want to simply look Trumpy or do they want to sort of show that they can do something by way of governing? Or maybe 20 senators don't agree with them and you get some yeah. in the caucus. So I think it's a very, I mean, we don't. It's a very unusual situation, actually. I mean, a president probably being defeated for election, but his party holding the Senate and um, and we're picking up seats in the House. So, you know, it's hard to know. It's very hard to know how that ball bounces. I agree with that. OK, but, can I, can I yeah, just go make ahead. a sure. comment about policy, though, uh, t- uh, Charlie, if you don't mind? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's one area where it does seem to me that some sort of compromise is almost uh, impossible to avoid. And that's with the healthcare issue, because the current Republican posture is just preposterous. Um, the, the current Republican position is that we are going to be, we're in court to try to invalidate Obamacare, and we have no replacement except for some fantasy, some notional thing that Trump keeps saying is coming in two weeks. There's nothing, right? And, and just as a political matter, uh, we have seen that even when the Republicans were in control of both houses and the presidency, their own constituency did not want them to eliminate uh, Obamacare. And so what they came up with was some sort of skinny bill, but in, and in any event, that failed. But I just think there there is it's not possible, it's not sustainable for the Republican Party to maintain the current position. The the case is likely to come to nothing in the Supreme Court, and then they will probably be willing to bargain on that issue yeah, of expanding they should the market. Be. Yeah. yeah, they 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 ought to be, and that would be one area. I mean, I could I could certainly see um, a, a President Biden be able to put together a package on healthcare, and also it became a joke during the Trump years. But we might actually have a real infrastructure week at some point. So yeah. let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because we're still in the midst of a very very messy election fight here. And just take a moment to think that if it turns out. That Arizona is the you know the the, the state that that really you know it was the nail in the coffin. Think about the sweet cosmic justice of the fact that maybe it was Trump's pettiness towards John McCain and all of that, and the alienation of John McCain that provided the margin in Arizona, which provides the two hundred seventy electoral votes. It is perhaps the final the final act of John McCain. <laughs> it's the kind of flipping him off. 
So at least, a, at least, nice in, at least nice. enjoy that, Bill. Yeah. I mean, come on, I, you got to got to got to cheer Bill up. You know, I'm, think about that. I'm the friend of John McCain and a supporter. I know. So I I do enjoy that, I guess. And I've yeah. McCain people emailed and texted me last night, commenting on that actually late last night. Um, the other thing, I get just one one more point, just to put on the record, I yeah. think agree with it. I mean, we're stipulating in this discussion that. Trump doesn't really follow through on what he said last night. Or, well, I, I, I don't know that. Yeah. But I mean, I am still, you know, it's not inconceivable that two hours after uh, we, we get off the uh, off this, off the, the, the taping this and the podcast gets put up, Trump tells people to go march on God knows some state capital and we really get in a scary situation. So I, I hope that doesn't happen. But I, I, he's so, you know, every time one hopes that, okay, Trump's going to sort of subside or the support for Trump will sort of subside and therefore he's not going to be as irresponsible as he could be. He may look at this and think, I don't know, does he think I've got to stay in power no matter what because of uh, revolution and my money and so forth? Or does he think I, I did a good, had a good showing, I can now go out pardoning myself and they probably won't challenge it and I can pardon a lot of people and I can kind of, uh, you know, still have a huge TV network and, you know, dominate the Republican Party and I'm better off being pseudo, you know, mm-hmm. pseudo normally. I mean, that's just, just another question that we don't know right now. Yeah, we, but then, then he'd be a loser, Bill. Which... He will never be a loser. He will only have been betrayed and that's cheated right. because he, it will, he will stick with this story until his dying breath mm-hmm. that, that he right. won this. Okay, let's play what he said last night because, I mean, this is, this is the, obviously it's going to frame what's going to be happening over the next few days. This is in the middle of the night. He comes out. He, he prematurely, falsely claims victories. Talking, running through a number of states that, that he won. And let's just pick up what he says here. So we won there. We lead by 76,000 votes with almost nothing left. And all of a sudden, everything just stopped. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. Okay? It's, it's a very sad... It's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And... We will win this, and we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you. Okay, so a couple of things there. I mean, if he's talking about stopping counting of votes, um, that's not going to happen. I mean, that, that would be blatantly undemocratic. Um, that's illegal. We always continue to count votes after the election. But I got to say, guys, I, um, he sounded very low energy to me. I don't think that I don't think what you saw there was a guy with a plan. I think you got a guy who was just sort of going through it and, you know, well, we already won this. And so, Mona, Mona, how, how alarmed were you by that uh, well, by that speech? I mean, this was always possible. He was going to declare, you know, bullshit victory on, on election night. But yes. Was, and yeah. and uh, and I think I think the country was was uh, prepared hmm. for him to do that. Um, but this had the, the usual uh 
Trumpian touches. First of all, the eliding of meaning of words. So he said, the voting has to stop. Well, the voting has stopped. It's the counting that that hasn't. And, and he knows that very well, but he's trying to confuse things. Um, and then there was this phrase that stuck out to me because, again, it, it betrays his, well, the phrase is, the, we need the law to be used in the proper manner. Yeah. Now, the law is the law, right? And, and we obey the law and we abide by the law, but not Trump. He uses the law for his own ends. He twists it and manipulates it. And that's what he's trying to do. Um, with uh, with trying to uh, go, you know his the notion that he can go straight to the Supreme Court with his three picks and say fix this for me you know issue a ruling you know that once again that's just not how things go and and what Biden said is absolutely right last night where he said the president does not get to decide who the victor is no, neither candidate gets to decide that the people decide it and we have our procedures in 50 states, and he's not going to be able to stop the counting of ballots. The thing he could do, and this is what I'm thinking mm -hmm. in terms of the worry, is that, you know, there there's in every election, there are examples of, you know, ballots that get spoiled or ballots that get lost or whatever, you know, machines that break down. And what I am worried about is that he and his minions in the Republican Party will find those examples and trumpet them and say that this proves that there was fraud and therefore we need to have recounts or we need to have, you know, in some way have the courts throw out um, legitimate ballots. And that's a little, that's more than a little worrisome. I think that's almost certain to happen. That all he yeah. needs is a couple of anecdotes. You make that the centerpiece and then you use that to discredit the the entire vote. You know, Bill, you said something earlier about, you know, it's possible that he could, you know, call for public demonstrations. I think it's probably going to work the other way around. You got millions of Americans who are, you know, probably do think that this is being stolen, that there is that there is fraud. And, you know, we, we have seen these spontaneous, uh, you know, m militias forming or, or, or people with their boat parades or their truck parades or whatever. And you know that the president will cheer them on no matter how bad it gets. So this is one of those things where we're in a very dangerous moment because these things can snowball. And you know that he's going to feed them. He's going to, he will feed the conspiracy theories. He will put it out there when they actually act. He will encourage them. He will praise them and say they're great Americans. Who knows what's going to happen? By the way, if you follow this thing that's going on in, in Wisconsin, where you know, uh, Biden has won, he doesn't, there's no way that they're going to get you know, past that 20,000 votes. But um, hold it here's I'm, I'm, I'm trying to actually call this up so there was oh my god twitter's actually blocked something that the president is trying to re, re, retweet it's basically somebody had a typo um when they were tabulating the numbers okay and they gave the libertarian candidate just it was a, again it was a typo uh, you know 300,000 more votes than she actually got and then they realized it was a typo and they and they and they fixed it and of course people are going what is this all about Mm -hmm. Is this some sort of, and everybody who's looked at it goes, no, there's not, this is a, it's a typo. But here you have the president of the United States who in the last hour has tweeted it out all in caps. What is this all about? So to your point, he will search around for any sort of pretext to challenge the legitimacy of this election. So 
we're in for this ride, Bill. I mean, it's uh, 80% of the Trump supporters in Wisconsin were absolutely certain he was going to win. Uh, so it was, I, I think, Mona, you uh, you and I were both on a, on, a, on a chat with somebody from Tennessee who was saying that everybody in Tennessee was absolutely certain that Trump was going to win and win by a landslide. So one of the questions is not what the Supreme Court's going to do, but psychologically, w- what is the effect of this? And, w- w- you know, how how ugly is this going to be going forward? And I'm not optimistic. Can I just say maybe two points? I mean, one, I do think this, I think Trump will be irresponsible and reckless and demagogic. Uh, and there are people out there who will respond to that. There's a big difference, and you sort of, both of you sort of made this point earlier, that between the kind of pro forma, you know, routine, if you want, demagoguery, where he, he'll never accept that he lost legitimately, he, he was cheated, it's sort of like a team that, you know, the umpires, uh, the referees stole the game from us. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> they leave the field and, yeah. you know, the game is, end, is over and they complain about it for the next uh, months or years versus, you know, I don't know what, asking your fans to riot and, you know, uh, uh, attack the referees and so forth. And I, I'm, I hope it's only the first. And I, I feel a little bit like mailing it in, but I, I have no confidence in that. And obviously it could be much, much worse. I think that does get to the broader point then of, and I think that probably affects in a way the psychology, but I, I'm, I don't know. I think a lot of people will believe either that he was cheated or he kind of got a bad break and, you know, if only uh, the media was so against him. And, you know, there are other things you can do. Sure. Yeah. There are other reasons, things you can blame other than electoral fraud. I mean, you can just blame institutions and people and never Trumpers and, and the networks and, and, the, and, and, you know, anyone who want Facebook for suppressing allegedly, you know, his own Twitter, whatever they want. So the, the notion that, will people kind of say, hey, this was all a little crazy. Can we think about how to work together as opposed to mm. it was perfectly reasonable. We got cheated here for various, by, by the elites, by the deep state, by whoever, but we can come back stronger. And frankly, Trump was a little bit old and a little bit flaky, but we can come back stronger with a 40 or 50 or 60 year old version of Trump. Um, I don't know. That feels to me like that second is going to be a very tempting path I think so. for people to go down. Okay, so none of us are polling wonks here, but one of the things that we will have to sort through over the coming months will be this dramatic, systematic polling error. I mean, this this ranks right up there with Dewey beats Truman in terms of like major polling error across the board, um, multiple pollsters. But we, I don't know, I don't speak for you guys, but, you know, we believe them. We based a lot of our commentary on the the story and the narrative that they were telling us. So, Mona, looking back on it, what did we miss? What was happening in the country that we missed? Because you and I, and again, you feel free to disagree here, we're looking at this failing president, flailing president, uh, you know, the the just ab- absurd closing argument, the disaster of of his coronavirus, the the corruption, the mendacity of this man. Four years of watching uh, his his cruelty and his incompetence, and yet obviously millions of Americans were prepared to put him back in office. So, what did we miss? What was happening out there while we were telling ourselves that the American people are not going to put up with us for another four years? <laughs> Well, um, so first of all, on the subject of polling, look, um, 
obviously the whole polling industry has to be reevaluated. They have to reevaluate themselves. Things have changed enough in this modern era with people not picking up their telephones uh, that the old methods just obviously do not work. Um, Doesn't mean that scientific polling should be abandoned as an idea, though. It means it's flawed. Um, you know, if you're not going to do scientific polling, then the only thing you have to go on is your gut, your sense of, you know, how, look how many uh, lawn signs there were and uh, look at the rally sizes. And we know that that's not representative either. So clearly we just have to figure out how better to sample people to get a real picture of what people are thinking. Um, you know, assuming that you, you don't have millions of people lying, which, you know, who knows, but well, uh, I, did, I just but, think they have to start factoring in the boat parades. I mean, you yeah, have to, you're, you're going you're gonna to have to, you know, you're going to have to wait it, you know, you wait for certain demographics. We're going to have to have a category for this. Now, my, my question has a slight flaw to it because Joe Biden, when this is over, will have received more votes for president of the United States than anyone else. He's going to get more votes than Barack Obama. Uh, Joe Biden got more votes in Wisconsin than any presidential candidate in state history. So it, it's not like the, the American people didn't take a position. It's just, as Bill said during our first segment, though, you're talking about 60, 70 million Americans that looked at Donald Trump and said, yeah, that's that's the guy I want to represent America. And so yeah. that's that's the one where I'm going. OK, I, I mean, I do understand that we live in these alternative realities. And I think that you can't underestimate how significant that is, how pervasive these these alternative media universes are in, in shaping our views, the way in which politics is not about policy anymore. It's about tribal identity. And we've talked about all of this, but boy, it was really on display last night. Yes, it sure was. And I, you know, kept hoping that there were moments where reality would break through those information silos. So I was looking to things like Trump's uh, press conferences during the early part of coronavirus, where he stood up there and said, you know, I think maybe if you inject bleach and, you know, and, and irradiate the human body with UV, that really should be helpful. And, uh, you know, you would have thought that, uh, you know, that, that hands would would slap foreheads all across America uh, and thought this guy has to go. But no, that didn't happen. And then, you know, the debates where I thought, okay, you know, this is not an information silo. People are seeing it in real time. Uh, But obviously there are other things that are stronger than people's distaste for Trump. And frankly, look, there are a lot of real jackasses out there who like Trump. And frankly, I have to say, you know, what else can you say about the African-American men, the Hispanic men um, who, you know, were, were attracted to him. There's something about that macho, I don't give a you-know-what, that that appeals to a certain kind of guy, which is very bad. I mean, we, we actually, I've written a whole book about feminism, and part of it was about the decline of healthy masculinity in this country and, and fathers and people teaching what it means to be a good man, not, not a blowhard bully jerk. But, uh, but unfortunately, there's a, a, a big appetite out there for um, exactly that kind of masculinity and very, very distressing. No, I, I, 
it, it, it is, that's not a glitch. It's not like we, we like him in spite of that. I think that that is part of it. So I think you've already really addressed this bill, but I, I want to keep coming back to this because I, I think that we were thinking that we were going to have this discussion like, well, what's next for the Republican Party? Where does the Republican Party go now after suffering this historic defeat? And you're right. I, I don't think there's going to be an autopsy. I don't think there's going to be a lot of introspection. I think there's going to be a lot of self-congratulation. And um, I think that uh, the, you know, the, the 2024 primary will have an element of like, who is, who is the Trumpiest? Right. I mean, this is not there, there's it, it, does, it doesn't strike me that this is a party that is going to say we've made some just fundamental errors. And, you know, we need we need to we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, how did we get here? Um, I, I do think that they're probably going to double down on a lot of the things. Of course, they'll be freed from having to defend Donald Trump. I mean, that's got to be a little bit of a relief on the part of the senators, even the ones who have been craven and sycophantic, it, it, at least at least. On a daily basis, they don't have to carry water for him anymore. Yeah, but I very much, and this is what makes me most worried, with the caveat that these things are so contingent, and you know, who knows what the world will look like in by twenty twenty four? Will Biden have been somewhat successful as president? Will cooperating with Biden have been seen as good for the country? Will the Trumpy people? Uh, what will happen in twenty twenty two? Is a very big question, but. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you're sort of your average Republican and we've been screaming and yelling at them for three years that they're sold out and it's terrible and it's, of course, wrong, yeah. the main thing we've said, and bad for the country, but we've also said occasionally that we also think this is probably bad for the party and for conservatism, they'll say, look, Romney and McCain, McCain and Romney, to get it chronologically correct, lost, clearly. Uh, Trump won very close in 2016 and lost a kind of almost equally close election in 2020, if he, assuming he does lose it. Basically, he won three states by one percentage point in 2016, and he's going to lose those three states by one percentage point yeah. in 2020. We're still fighting a bit, but only a bit. So there's, the lesson is still that the kind of, and the Republicans hold the Senate, and they may do pretty, and they would pick up a few House seats. So don't tell, they, they will say to us that that the Trump model remains the future with some, you know, some qualifications and some alterations and some trimming and so forth. And I think that's going to be pretty strong in the Republican Party. But again, I come, you know, events matter, right? I mean, God knows what will happen in the world. God knows what will happen to us as a country. Uh, the pandemic, maybe if Biden manages it well, people say, gee, that was great to have responsible management. And maybe the other party should do some of that as well. What happens with governors? I mean, there are a lot of things going. It's a very, it's a fluid moment. I, I think we should be careful. I mean, that's the one caveat right. to my own sort of pessimism is, you know, you could have real leadership on the upside. But looking at the House and the Senate, I, I am pretty worried about that. Yeah. So I, I, I always focus on Wisconsin a little bit because I am in Wisconsin. The story here is really interesting. Essentially, Four years ago, Donald Trump won by about 20,000 votes. Uh, two years ago, Scott Walker lost re-election by about 20,000 votes. And today, Biden is winning Wisconsin by about 20,000 votes out of 3.2 million. It's kind of like the magic number here. Uh -huh. uh, and there's there's a lot of ways of looking at it. And he, it looks like Trump basically held his own in, his, in the counties that he won. He did reasonably well. He underperformed again in the Milwaukee suburbs, which are starting to trend uh, like other suburbs are starting to trend more blue. But the big story looking at these numbers right now 
is the the level of uh, enthusiasm by Democrats here in Wisconsin. So, you know, everybody talks about Milwaukee County, but Dane County is Madison, you know, Matt, the People's Republic of Madison and, you know, the university government and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Democratic margin in Dane County, which is not the biggest county by far in Wisconsin, the Democratic margin was over 181,000. So that's almost as big a margin as Milwaukee County. That's 35,000 bigger margin than Clinton four years ago. It's 49,000 votes bigger than Obama's margin in 2012. So the growth in the Dane County margin um, from year to year, 35,000, is bigger than Biden's entire statewide lead. So you, you you can tell the story out of that one county you know, the most liberal county in Wisconsin. So at least, at least here. So this wasn't about persuading people. It was about just firing up Democrats who hadn't voted in the past and getting them out. Charlie, you're right to, to bring up, um, the, uh, the, the vote in a county like Madison, because, um, one story that this election does not change, um, is, uh, that younger people are heavily trending Democratic, and this is not an iron law of history. When when we were young, and when when Reagan was president, um, he carried uh, the youth vote, and a lot of the people who were who became Republicans during the Reagan years stayed Republicans throughout the rest of their voting lives. Um, he was very very popular among the young, and um, so we are seeing those demographic trends that you know obviously the the uh, uh, the Trump people and the Republicans are are wringing out the last you know election uh, successes that they can from their existing heavily white and elderly uh, uh, and rural uh, population and but the the march of uh, time will is is against them and uh, you know the the more. It's been said many times, but you know, the more diverse and the younger voters and the more women and the more minorities and all of that, um, they are trending the other way. And in time it will it will change things. Yeah, but Charlie Kirk will turn that around. He's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Bill, I gotta I gotta figure out a way to buck Bill up here. Um <laughs> so you know, you know, at the end of our call last night, when it was not clear what was gonna happen, I said, look. You know the fight continues. We're not we're not leaving the field. You know that this is why we do what we do, and and I, and I think that we thought that there would be perhaps a different fate, different agenda for, and we'll describe ourselves as 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 never Trumpers, but we have to stay in the fight. It's not going to be the fight that we actually thought it was going to be. But I mean, could we at least acknowledge that right now, that on at noon on January twentieth, two thousand twenty one. We are all going to be hosting a glass because Donald Trump will no longer be the president. So in terms of never Trump, he's gone. He's going to be gone. But this business of fighting for the future of the Republican Party and conservatism, what's what, what it, it, it doesn't look good. But what, what is our role? What, 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 what is the agenda going to be? Well, let's maybe close with this. Since I have no idea. Yeah, probably getting you know, like, oh my God, they were up late and they were going. But yeah. no, it's a good discussion, honestly. And so I think on that point, I think you and I, Charlie, and Mona too, actually, all three of us, given that we were so pretty staunch conservatives and Republicans for quite for decades, have all been a little skeptical of the ease of fixing the Republican Party, a little distressed, more than a little distressed, by the depth of 
corruption, if that's the right word, or degradation, if that's the right word, of the conservative movement, and uh, have always, therefore, have not quite been in the school of, you know, just get rid of Trump, but a few little tweaks, and we're right. back to a happy Republican Party and a healthy, robustly conservatism. So, if you, in a sense, this intensifies that, I think, and I think it really means for the bulwark, for all of our own personal efforts, for uh, defending democracy together, we really fresh thinking. I mean, I don't know where it leads. I don't feel like the Democratic Party looks wildly hopeful these these days. I mean, I think it will move left. And also, they didn't exactly have a great performance last night. The Republican Party looks to me not as a very, not a very hospitable place for the next two, three, four years. Maybe that's good. You know, it lets us really think in a fresh way. Maybe we make a lot of coalitions on a lot of different issues. We don't try to find a party that embodies everything we believe in. We yeah. have different, different allies on different issues, whether it's immigration or tax policy or limited government or the rule of law. Uh, pro-life. I mean, you know, you can imagine different kind of politics. Maybe we'll be a little bit alone in in, in not having being what part of one tribe or another. And maybe ultimately that's a kind of uh, opportunity, a really kind of exciting opportunity. I, I think I think I think you're right because you know what we're not going. I was thinking the other day. There's no going back for me. I don't know about you guys. There, there's no good. I'm, I'm not going to be sitting in a room with some of the people who have been part of all of this and nope. supported this. There, there, there is no going back. And especially now that we know that it certainly looks like this, this party is going to be Trumpian for, you know, at least another several cycles. Um, that, 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 that certainly, that certainly closes the door. Mona, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, this has been painful. I, I wrote yesterday, you know, even though we've paid this price, no, no regret. I still have no regrets, but um, it's really hard to imagine, especially now, ever going back and making common cause with these folks. No, the divorce is final, um, but so are hopefully the new alliances. Um, I think we have all, I know, the, at least the three of us have, have made relationships with people across the aisle that we wouldn't have even considered in years past. Um, and uh, some of them pretty far to the left, some more in the center. Uh, and so, yes, I mean, it, it is possible that, uh, that this awful, <laughs> I don't want to be too crude, but that let's, let's think that the, possibly the, uh, the, the, the manure of the Trump era will serve as fertilizer. <laughs> That's good. No, that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's good, Mona. That's a great thing to you know leave people image to people. <laughs> yes. What flower will grow from the manure of the Trump administration? <laughs> what flower will bloom and blossom? Mona Charon, Bill Crystal. Uh, thanks for being up early after being up very, very late. And you know, the reality is that we're all still hungover from all of this. And it's going to be difficult to figure out, okay, you know, what happens next? At least what happens next, we have to figure out whether we're going to experience this nightmare reality, this nightmare scenario. And I think one of the big questions I have is, uh, are Republicans going to push back if, if, Trump, if Trump really does push the crazy on all of this? And um, if, if they do, it will be a mild surprise uh, because they've gotten so used to looking the other way. But it will be interesting to see, knowing that he is going away whether they, you know, what position they will take if he if he takes really aggressive voter suppression type measures. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Mona Charon and Bill Crystal. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.